real quick before we dive into this episode of the podcast. Be sure to grab your free PDF copies of my latest books at frugal.show forward slash free. Now on to the show. If you haven't already, be sure to grab your free copy of my first two books, Frugalpreneur and Authorpreneur, by going to thesarahstjohn.com forward slash free. That's T-H-E-S-A-R-A-H-S-T-J-O-H-N dot com forward slash free. Now on to the show. Welcome to the Frugalpreneur Podcast. I'm your host, Sarah St. John, and my guest today is the membership guru from themembershipguys.com and membershipacademy.com. Please welcome to the show, Mike Morrison. Hey, thanks for having me on. I'm excited to talk about membership. Can you tell us a little bit about your background and how you got into this niche? Yeah, so we originally ran a, a digital marketing agency where we worked with businesses of all shapes and sizes, everything from brick and mortar companies to e-commerce businesses to people starting kind of course websites and e-learning websites through to people running memberships and online communities. And originally I was kind of running that myself. I started as a freelancer. Wow, it's 2020 now. So about 15 years ago, I went full-time as a freelancer, then started the agency. And then I met Cali. And through working with Cali, we achieved kind of a level of success in our agency where we got to be a little more selective about the type of clients we worked with. And we just found that we, we gravitated towards the membership world a lot more than we did any other type of, of clients that we worked with. Because usually people who were starting memberships, they were a bit savvier. They had a clearer idea of, of what they wanted to do. And there was more we could do for them. We were getting great results with memberships. And so as time went on, we just became more and more and more focused within our agency in terms of the types of jobs we worked with to a point where the only clients we would ever take on were online memberships. So we were pretty much the only agency exclusively specializing in online memberships. And we did that for a while. But of course, when you're that specific, you're in demand. And the demand started really far exceeding the our capacity to actually help people. So we started exploring other ways in which we could serve more people. And through that, we started blogging. We started podcasting. We created our free Facebook group. And ultimately, we started our membership about memberships. And now that's all we do. We kind of left the client world behind probably only about six or seven months after we started our membership because it took off really quickly. And now we don't do any consulting, any private work, anything of that nature. We are 100% focused just on running our, our online membership for online memberships. And we've been doing that now for five years. Wow. How many people do you have currently? We've had, we've got about 3,000 give or take members because obviously it's always kind of edging up, coming down as people come and go. And over the years, I think we're at around about six, six and a half thousand um, who have come through our doors. And then within our free Facebook group, we've got about 16,000 membership site owners in there as well. So yeah, when when I say we want to reach more people and help more people, we've definitely we've definitely managed that. So how does one decide if they should start a membership site? Because it's something that I've thought about 
But I'm like, I don't know if I have enough material or even time to run a membership site. So I guess, first of all, how do people decide or know that that's something they should do and then to manage the time and then to be constantly coming out with content for it? Well, there's a few parts of that. So I'll, I'll, I'll get to the content production stuff in a, in a little while, because that's a whole other kettle of fish. I think the, the first thing really is identifying what kind of problems and needs your audience have and determining whether or not they are recurring needs. So if you've got a solution to something, is it a case where someone could come along, work with you for an hour and get the breakthrough they need, and then they're done? That's that's their problem solved. Or are the needs of your audience such that they're going to require kind of ongoing support or, you know, they're on a, a bigger journey, a longer term kind of problem solving quest where they'll need their hands held as they go from step one to step two to step three to step four. And that journey might last months or even years. So that's the first thing, really, just in terms of determining whether there is whether the membership route that kind of long-term route is the the right approach to make a membership even viable as a solution to your audience's problems. Next thing you really need to make sure you've done is you need to have a following and, and an audience yourself that you built up. Far too many people skip that stage. They think that if they build this incredible membership, it'll be so amazing that the second it's launched, everyone's spider senses will just start tingling and they'll magically discover this membership site. And it just doesn't work like that. You need you need to grow an email list. You need to build a following first. And you need to establish your ability to mobilize that audience and to compel them to put their hands in their pocket and pay you for solutions to their problems. So again, that's something you need to have in place. And having that audience will really help you to better understand their problems, better understand their needs, and to validate whether the idea for a membership site would actually work for them. And then the last, kind, of, the final kind of things you really need to establish are the sort of things you you mentioned as stuff that you've kind of, you've been on the fence around, you know, do I have the time to create content? Do I want to do this? You know, is the idea of three or four years down the line having to answer questions about this subject still and create content around the subject. Does that sound amazing? Does that sound like my dream job? Or does that sound like a nightmare? You need to determine whether you're in it for the long run. Now, the actual demand and the workloads of creating your content, that's something that's within your control. They are memberships that don't have a scrap of content. They are purely coaching and community focused. And so the founder of the membership will do a live Q&A every week. They'll make themselves available for two hours or so or less, depending on you know how much time they have. And they'll, the value they deliver is exclusive access to them to pick their brains. And then they'll have a community element to that as well. Maybe there'll be some accountability stuff. So not every membership has to have a load of content. And also, even if you do have a content-driven membership, you don't have to be putting something out every single week. If you just want to do one main thing a month, do one main thing a month. If you just want to have kind of a, a core of some foundational content and that's it, there's nothing new added to it. Maybe you update it once a year, but you get access to that main kind of signature course and then everything else in terms of what you get in the membership are things like the community and so on. You can do that. 
just as long as you're clear and you're not misselling. So if you don't have a me- if you've got a membership where you're not releasing a new mini course every month, don't put that on your sales page, right? Don't say fresh new content added all the time if you're not going to be adding it. As long as you clearly communicated what someone gets in their membership, then you can set the terms. And if someone joins a membership where they know there's not something new every week, they're not going to expect something new every week. Because actually giving them something new every week, some cases can be more detrimental to them solving their problems because it can lead to overwhelm. So it doesn't have to be a slog. It doesn't have to be a content creation treadmill if you don't want it to be. You kind of have to find the the right rhythm that suits you. And for some people, that just means no content at all. But they deliver value in other ways because it's not just about giving people the most stuff. It's about solving their problems. You can solve my biggest problem with one five-minute video. I'd rather you did that than dragging it out into a six-hour long course that you release one module a week just with, with only five minutes of actual useful stuff in there. So the content side of things, you get to set your own terms on. Oh, wow. That's interesting. I hadn't really thought of it in terms of having like a membership for just coaching and consulting. I always thought of it as releasing a bunch of content that could be because the memberships that I'm a part of are constantly releasing content. Like I'm in Youpreneur. I just got into Podcasters Paradise and I've done like the Podcast Host Academy and Podcast Success Academy, all those. All content. Yeah. All memberships. Yeah. But even then, you know, I, I prefer to use the term deliverables rather than content. So let's say you did want to give someone something every single week. Then one of those things could be a live webinar that you do once a month. So in the first week of every month, you do a 90-minute training and you do it live. I always like doing stuff live where you can because it forces you to abandon perfectionism because you're not going to be able to do a live session as polished as you might want to make kind of a, a pre-recorded course. So if you're if you're recording a two-hour long course, it'll take you forever because everyone does this. They they primp and they preen and they polish and they try and get everything absolutely perfect. You just can't do that when you go live. So it forces you to not be a perfectionist because as long as your members are getting the value, they don't care if it's if it's 100% perfectly polished. So anyway, I'm getting off track there. So let's say the one thing. Once a month, first week of the month, you delivered a 90-minute training workshop. You do it live, so you've got that event feel, you've got the buzz, and then the recording of it goes into your archive. It goes into the library, which builds up over time. The second week, maybe you add kind of a, a checklist, a little downloadable checklist. Those kind of things don't take a lot of effort to create. You can outsource a lot of that if you just give them just a basic list of kind of action points, maybe processes that you use in your business. You give that to a designer, they can whip something up. But that can be really valuable for for your members without a lot of time and effort on your part. So that's your week two deliverable. Week three, you might do a live Q&A. Live Q&As take such little amounts of effort but you can deliver incredible amounts of value because all you're doing is you're picking a time in the diary, you turn up and you make yourself available for people to pick your brains. You don't know what questions they're going to ask, so you don't need to do any prep work. You know your stuff, so it's not going to be hard to answer people's questions. Low effort, massive value to your members. And again, the recording of that goes into an archive. So everything you're doing is adding 
extra value, the permanent value to your membership. And that can be your week three deliverable. Week four, maybe you go out there and you look at, okay, what tools, what software, what products are my audience using? You identify the most common ones and you approach those companies and you say, can you give me some sort of deal, some sort of offer that I can take back to my audience and I'll promote it. I'll be doing your advertising, your marketing for you to my audience. And the the benefit to you is that you get something in your membership that is exclusive to your membership, right? It's a perk. It's something that a member gets that a non-member wouldn't get. Now, a lot of kind of software, a lot of companies, they'll they'll pay for advertising. They'll give affiliate commissions. So if they can kind of get exposure just by giving you 10% off, then it's a win-win for them. But you get another valuable deliverable that you can offer to people. So there's four different types of, of content, but actually you probably wouldn't look at them. You wouldn't think of them when you're thinking about content, right? They are deliverables. So week one of every month is a live webinar. Week two you add a new checklist into your checklists and cheat sheets section. Week three, you do a live Q&A. Week four, you add a new special perk or member offer into your, your membership. Next month comes around, week one, it's your webinar. Week two, it's your checklist and so on and so on. So you're giving people something every single week, but what you're giving them is varied enough to cater towards a wider range of, of interests. It's not heavy content that they have to spend hours each week consuming. It's not stuff that's taken you forever to create because the Q&As you just show up, the perks and discounts, it's just hustling via email and you can arrange a bunch of, you can put in a bit of effort like once a quarter to line up a a handful of of offers. Again, checklists and cheat sheets you can batch create. The only real thing from that that's taking a bit more time and effort is preparing a, a live training webinar, but you're only doing one of those once a month. So again, it's moving away from this idea of content just being courses, workshops, tutorials, stuff that you have to spend hours and hours creating where you're constantly on this treadmill grinding stuff out. And remember that it's just finding ways in which to add value to your your audience to help them achieve something a little quicker, get something a little cheaper, implement something a little faster. And if you can do that, then you can deliver a massive amount of value without it taking you you know, 50 hours a week in, in content production. Wow, those are a lot of good ideas, things I hadn't even thought about. I, so now I feel like it is more feasible for something for me to do. My only thing is I'm trying to figure out, well, what direction... I'm really into podcasting. That's like podcasting's awesome. But the thing is, is there's so many. There's Podcasters Paradise, the Podcast Host Academy, Podcast Success Academy. Daniel J. Lewis has a podcast society. I think uh, School of po- There's so many. It's like, does it make sense to you know create a membership on that subject when there's at least five or ten already out there? Yeah, and I think with that, you just need to kind of find. Well, there's a couple of, there's two sides to that. One, it's a big old world out there. And while a lot of, you know, people like JLD and Dave Jackson and Mark Asquith and the team over at at Rebel Base Media, they've got a membership as well for podcasts. There's still a lot of pie left uh, and it doesn't take hundreds of thousands of members in order to make a membership business sustainable. 
So, you know, I'm a big, big fan There's a, a of, of a guy called Kevin Kelly. He's a marketer and a future thinker. And he popularized this idea of 1,000 true fans. And the whole idea is that all a creator, a musician, an artist, or what have you, all you need is 1,000 true fans. 1,000 people who are so engaged with you, who hang on your every word, who trust you implicitly, who are your people, right? They connect with you above and beyond the way in which they connect with other with other people. 1,000 people who will buy what you're selling and love you for it. 1,000 is not a huge amount. When you put in the context of, you know, building email lists and, you know, how many people there are starting podcasts, like there's probably a thousand people starting podcasts every month, every, every week. I'm, I'm betting podcasting is huge right now. If you just have 1,000 people, but those 1,000 people are paying $50 a month, that's 50 grand a month. Now that's, that's a decent amount of money, right? And even if you're just getting a fraction of that, you know, I know a lot of people whose lives would be changed and just making $5,000 a month from their business or even less than that. But the whole idea around that and, and embracing that mindset, I think is just to realize that when you, even if you're entering a crowded market, these guys don't occupy the entire market. And you also don't need to come in and squeeze them out in order to carve a very profitable piece of the pie for yourself. So there's that perspective as well. And doing the maths and seeing that you don't actually need a crazy amount of paying members in order to make more money than you, you know you might be making through, through other avenues. But the other thing is also just finding your own your own niche, your own unique spin on things. So that might be a case of actually looking at it and saying, okay, I love podcasting, but what part of podcasting can I particularly help people out with? So maybe your membership can be for people who are just starting their podcast, or maybe it can be for people who have already got their podcast up and running. It's been going for a while and they're ready to go to that next level. So it's more focused around growth. Now, just specializing just that little bit more than some of these other more generalist memberships are, that again can make you more appealing to a certain portion of the market. Because, you know, if you go into a hospital and, you know, you have a very particular type of fracture to one of your fingers, do you want the person who is the absolute specialist in hand? fractures and that's all they do when they wrote medical papers on it when they were in medical school and they spend every single day just focusing on this real specific area or do you want the person who you know he can fix a finger he can stitch up a leg deliver a baby or two you know he's just this generalist guy who's just floating around doing a bit of everything you want the specialist right like you pay good money for the specialist and so is there a way that you can niche down a little further than other people in your industry are? Some people are so scared of niching down because they think, well, if I become, you know, the podcast growth specialist for female hosted podcasts, so that's getting even narrower. If I do that, then that means I can't make any money from the men and I can't make any money from the people who are starting their podcast. But man, again, all you need is that 1,000 true fans. And so even if by niching down, you're excluding half of the market, the half that you're left with is still 
way big enough for you to find those thousand true fans or even just a hundred true fans to to make your way in the world so yeah that's my perspective and the the niching bit doesn't have to be the specific topic it can be around you and your personality or the way that you do things it can be you know you mentioned all those memberships that you're in they're all content heavy how many of them have coaching elements to it maybe yours can be the first membership for podcasts that actually is centered around the coaching and the support and and kind of helping people to find their confidence that's a big one that's a huge one with podcasting you need to be able to project a bit of confidence and find your voice and find you know something unique about yourself could you help people do that again if you can say okay i can see you've got a broken finger I am the person who fixes broken fingers all day and other people might say they can do it, but this is my jam. This is my thing. That's going to make you far more appealing to the people with the real specific problems that you solve. That's a lot of good insight there. I hadn't thought of approaching it from the the female angle because part of my hesitation is I don't want to seem like I'm trying to compete with JLD and Mark Asquith and Colin Gray and Dave Jackson and Daniel J. Lewis and all them. So You know how they're all men? Yeah, I was just going to say, so maybe that could be my angle. Although then I wonder, will people think that's sexist though? Like for me to have a membership site just for females. You know, I mean, you're in Upreneur, so you'll have heard this one from Chris Ducker about marketing like a magnet. You attract the best, you repel the rest. And someone who is going to feign offense at the fact that you're saying this is a membership for female hosted podcasters they are the kind of people you want to repel anyway because they even if you were allowing everyone in they'd find something else to whinge about something else to complain about yeah that's a good point it's it's okay to let some people go and to not appeal to everyone earlier you had mentioned and this was going to be one of the things I wanted to ask about was before you launch a membership site that you should probably have an audience of some sort. Is there a certain number that would be ideal to get to before launching a membership site? A lot of these things, they're kind of, it's almost like that. How long is a piece of string? And I always try to find ways to avoid saying it depends, but really it depends. Broadly speaking, I would say you want to have three to 500 people on your email list. Not three to 500 Facebook page likes, Twitter followers. They're not really your audience. They're someone else's audience who just given a nominal click of a button. You want to judge your audience size based on people who have subscribed to your email list or people who have joined a private Facebook group, like a free Facebook group. They're usually a good measure where it's people who have taken just that extra little step to get more from you. So yeah, three to 500 very, very broadly speaking. Now, there'll be some people with 20,000 people on their email list who can't get a single one of them to open an email, let alone click a link or buy something. And there'll also be people with 50 people on an email list who convert literally every single one of them on anything they sell. So it, it does depend on how engaged they are, how relevant your list building has been. You've got 500 people on a list, but they're only on there because you were giving away an iPad. They're not buying anything from you. But if these are people who listen to your podcast, who read your blogs, who they watch your YouTube videos, they've attended your events, past clients, those kind of things, then yeah, three to 500 people, I think, generally gives you a, a wide enough net to bring in enough members when you launch your membership to give it 
the momentum it'll need to carry it forward. That's a good uh, metric for me to keep in mind. And then as far as like price point, because it seems like a lot of the memberships are, they seem to range from like 30 a month to 100 a month. But how do you determine, I guess, what price and then do you increase it over time? So broadly speaking, B2C memberships, so direct to consumer memberships, they'll usually be cheaper. Generally, they'll be priced around $15 to about $35 per month. The exception to that is in topics where there's a financial barrier to entry. So where people are already spending quite a lot of money on their hobby, like musicians, photographers, where they're spending thousands on equipment. So they recognize the importance of investing in their hobby. But other than those markets, generally 15 or about $35 per month for B2C. B2B tends to range between about $30 to $65, $70-ish per month. There's exceptions to that. There's always going to be some that are cheaper, some that are more expensive. Usually, if you have memberships that are kind of more like group coaching programs or smaller intimate masterminds, usually they'll be hundreds of dollars per month. But they're not your typical online membership that uh, we're talking about. In terms of how do you decide what to charge to start with, it's an inexact science. There's a degree to which you just have to pick a price that feels good because pricing is not based in logic. It's not. It's A lot of pricing comes down to perception of value. It comes down to the way in which you communicate your offer. It comes down to whether you're seeing as being more valuable or more premium than something else that's on the market. So there is definitely a big aspect of good feeling when it comes to setting your price. Of course, research what other memberships are out there. Recognize that if there's five other memberships in the same market and they're all $30 a month, then if you're charging 60, you're going to have to make sure that you're kind of justifying your increased value proposition. But yeah, just pick what feels good. I would generally say start a little lower than you might want to launch at because generally when you launch you'll usually have some sort of promotion for the first week or two and then the price will go up to its normal price and then often about a year or so into the membership once it's kind of fully taken shape and once you found your rhythm usually you'll see most memberships will kind of go up in price a little bit more so with us when we launched membership academy back in 2015 i think we launched at 29 dollars a month for anyone who signed up during the first two weeks, and then it went up to $39. It was $39 for a further two years. Was it one year? My memory's going. It was either one year or two years, and then we put it up to $49, and it's been there ever since. But it's, you know, it's good to have in mind where you might ultimately want to price at, but then start a little bit lower, because it's easier to start a little lower and put your price up than it is to start too high. Realize you priced it beyond what the market will be willing to pay and then have to kind of lose face in reducing your price because that never looks good. So then as you raise your price, the people that you already have, do you grandfather them in at the old price? You don't increase for them. Okay. Yeah. They continue to get that price because, well, for two reasons. One, it's actually quite rightly difficult to increase with the payment processes, the price someone's subscription is set up for. And that's a good thing. I see people getting frustrated by this, but for obvious reasons, if if they made it so that if you're paying me $10 a month, I shouldn't be allowed to go in there and just change 
you know, add a couple of zeros onto that subscription fee, right? That's just asking for trouble. So at the basic level, even if you would want to put their price up, it's actually very difficult to do that with payment processors. But from a strategic point of view, grandfathering people at the price that they originally signed up for is fantastic for member retention too, because those people I mentioned before who sign up to our membership at $29 a month, we still got a lot of those people subscribed five years after we launched. And a big or a factor in that, if they have a creature point where they kind of think, ah, do I want to take a few months away? Do I, you know, do I want to stay? Do I want to leave? The fact that if they were to leave and then come back in a few months' time, they'd need to rejoin at the current price of $49. That gives them pause for thought, right? It's an incentive to stay subscribed, even if they might not use the membership for a month or two, because they've got that discount locked in for the lifetime that they remain a member. And quite rightly so. Some people don't like grandfathering because they've got the short-sighted view that, well, when Joe Bloggs joined, I only had two courses in my membership and and I was only doing one Q&A, but now I've got 20 courses and I'm doing three Q&A, so he should be paying more. Well, actually, no, because that guy backed you real early on. If that guy didn't take the chance on you and wasn't willing to pay you at a time where your membership was still young and where there was more risk for him as a buyer, you wouldn't be where you are now. You wouldn't have 20 odd courses. You wouldn't be priced at a higher rate. So I kind of feel like it's just a nice reward for those earlier members for backing you when you're getting started to keep their price where it is. But even if you if you disagree and if you don't want to, you can't do it anyway. The payment processes won't let you. So you're, you're stuck having to do the right thing. Yeah, because I think raising it on someone who's been with you is bad business. You're probably going to lose them that way, you know? So. Yeah, that's the thing. You know, they like for the sake of an extra $10 a month, screwing over your members just isn't worth it. And I think the it, it does largely come down to just having that longer term view and recognizing that memberships are a retention business. They are a business that thrive on loyalty and that loyalty should rightly be rewarded because you know you want people to be with you for months and years to come. You need people to be with you for months and years to come in order for you your membership to grow because it's all about keeping people subscribed more than it is about getting that kind of initial upfront sale or any sort of boost from increasing prices. Yeah. And then as pricing, usually I've noticed that people have like a monthly plan and an annual plan. And so let's say your monthly plan is $50 a month. And if you pay every month, well, then that ends up being 600 a year. But if you pay for a full year, then it's like 500. So technically you're getting like two months free. Is that kind of the standard way to do it? Pretty much. Yeah. Yeah. A little bit of an extra incentive for people making that bigger commitment. Because, yeah, because obviously not everyone who signs up monthly will stay for for those 12 months. And actually, you know, the, the people who might sign up annually, then maybe they'll be engaged with your membership for four or five months, and then maybe they'll not use it for a month or two, and then they'll come back and they'll get re-engaged with it. So in, in that regard, if they were only able to join monthly or if there was no incentive for them to join annually, then maybe after that initial few months, they might leave and then come back. And so there's the benefits of actually having people on a, a longer commitment period. And the fact that there are benefits to that kind of justifies just giving a little extra incentive to get people to, to sign up for longer. So when people have a lot of content that they 
can put out there. You know, a lot of people do the membership sites, but then some people just do courses where it's like a one-time fee. Okay, so for example, like Pat Flynn, he has several courses, one-time fee, but they're, it's very expensive, you know, like 700 to $1,000. But it's not a membership site, so it's not like he has to keep, well, I don't know, maybe he does add more lessons as time goes on. So between those two models, like a Pat Flynn model, or it's a very expensive course versus like a JLD monthly, $100 a month or whatever, how do you decide which of those two routes to go? Some of it comes down to what I was saying earlier about whether or not you're solving a recurring need. So, you know, are you are you treating a broken finger or are you helping someone with arthritis? both things that affect the use of hands and, and the use of fingers, but one is a patch it up and it's done, and the other is something that will require kind of ongoing assistance with and treatment and, and support with. So courses are generally better suited where there's a very kind of finite path, clear start, clear outcome, and you can get from there to there through consuming five hours worth of, of video lessons or what have you. So it comes down to the problem that you're solving. There's also, in terms of one versus the other, they work well together. So a lot of memberships you will find, they'll have mini courses inside them. I always call them mini courses. Other people will just say courses. Usually they'll be maybe two to three hours tops and they'll be more specific, but part of their deliverables are mini courses. We have about 40, I think now, in Membership Academy. You wouldn't, you probably wouldn't sell courses of that kind of size and scale for a thousand dollars but collectively they make up a body of work and a, and a library that has value so again courses and memberships can be interchangeable in that way sometimes you have people where you'll take a course and then you graduate from that course and the next step is to go into a next level membership for continued support and assistance or they do it the other way around you start off in a lower level membership and then if you want more you then take the higher priced course. So there are ways in which they complement each other well as well. In terms of, you know, if, if you're in a situation where you could do a membership or a course, like both would, would help you to help your audience achieve what they need to achieve, then the main thing I think it comes down to is the way in which you want to do business and where your skills lie. If you are just an absolute wizard sales, but you don't really kind of excel or even just want to, to get involved in any sort of like after sales, customer support. You don't want to have a community. You don't want to need to think about the customer once they bought your thing. Then courses will suit you a little more than memberships. Memberships, the actual sale is the start of the journey. With courses, the sale is kind of the end for you, right? With a membership, it's all about what comes next, retention community engagement, all that sort of stuff. But ultimately, neither is uh, neither of them are better than the other. Sometimes you'll look at that $1,000 course and think, okay, well, actually, you know, if I just sell like 10 of those a month, that's $10,000. And that just appeals to me more than a membership because if I just get 10 members this month, then, you know, from those people, I'm only making like $500. That's, that's not much. But what it all comes down to is the lifetime value of that customer relationship. If you sell a course to someone for $1,000, the lifetime value of that customer relationship is $1,000. And you max out that lifetime value on day one, right? You get all of that thousand up front. 
with a membership, if you have a $50 a month membership, and on average people stay for 20 months, then the lifetime value of that is also $1,000. It just takes you 20 months to max it out. So the only thing that's different is the amount of time it takes you to realize the full lifetime value. And so when I, I do see people kind of almost giving up on the idea of a membership because they're thinking, okay, well, I don't want to have to deal with churn. And, you know, the idea of with a course, I could be making $1,000 per sale or with a membership, it's just $50 a month, but they're not doing the long-term view because the lifetime value can be the same or it can even be even more with a membership. And the fact that the membership model essentially gives you that lifetime value in, in increments and it's spread over time means that you can influence the potential of how much you can earn from that person. If you're selling a $1,000 course, the only way to make more money per sale is to put the price up. If you've got a membership, you can make more money per sale by increasing the price. You can make more money per sale by improving your retention rates. You can make more money per sale by offering upsells. So there's a lot more you can do to increase the lifetime value of, of the customer. So courses and the money you can make from them always look a lot more appealing than memberships because if you just look at the amount you get upfront on the day, then usually that'll blow out of the water the amount of money you make on day one for your membership sales. But when you take that longer term view, you can ultimately end up making a lot more from bringing in a new member because a $50 a month membership is a lot more accessible to more people than a thousand dollar course so you can get more sales ultimately earn the same amount it just takes that little bit longer but actually every month with the new sales you're getting you're just building and building and building and building and building and you're getting paid over and over and over again rather than just getting paid once hmm. yeah that's a good breakdown of the pros and cons of both basically so what would you say are the key ingredients to a successful membership site i think the most important the biggest key ingredient well actually kind of coming to what we were saying before about content generally most memberships will be comprised of what i call the three c's content coaching community so we've already talked about the content the content will usually be e-learning content courses workshops tutorials downloads all those kinds of things the coaching will be from, from you, the expert, the influencer, making yourself available. Now, it doesn't mean one-to-one -one coaching. It'll mean Q&As. It'll mean answering questions inside a forum. It'll mean providing support and accountability to uh, your members. And then the community aspect is usually a, a discussion forum or a Facebook group. Now, not every membership has all three of those, but the, the best memberships usually have some combination of, of those three elements. And really, I think that the, the thing that you need to make sure that you're doing is firstly, you need to make sure you're providing ongoing value. So we talked about addressing a recurring need and helping people through this longer journey. So you need to make sure that you're actually showing up month on month for your audience and you're helping them get to the place they want to be, get the results they want, undergo the transformation they're going through, facilitating connections and all of that sort of stuff. And that requires you to show up. You need to show up for your people each and every day. And if you're not committed to doing that, then they're not going to continue their end of the bargain, which is paying you, right? Memberships are a value exchange. As long as you keep providing value to people, they'll keep giving value to you in terms of their subscription fee. And when you stop, so do they. So an understanding of those 
kind of three C's that make up memberships and also the recognition of your kind of duty to show up and serve for your audience and to deliver those that ongoing value is is crucial. Again, there's the the recognition memberships are a retention business. What happens after the sale is more important than than the sale itself. So it's not enough to just be bringing in new members because if those people are leaving just as fast as you're bringing new people in, then your membership won't be sustainable. So you need to have a solid retention strategy. You need to pay attention to the member experience, to new member onboarding, so helping people get indoctrinated in and inducted into your membership site. And, you know, actually, like we say, making an effort to keep them engaged, to recognize when people are slipping away when they haven't logged in for a while, reaching out to them and all that sort of stuff as well. And yeah, again, the main thing is paying attention to what happens after the sale, which is not something everyone in the online business world is accustomed to because for so many people, the sale is the finish line, but with a membership, it's the starting pistol. Hmm. Yeah, that's an interesting way to put it. Like when you were talking about courses as kind of the finish line, whereas memberships is the starting line. You had mentioned community, and I know there's a few different ways to do that. A lot of people do the Facebook group, and some people do a third-party site like Mighty Networks, and then some people do a membership community within their, like, youpreneur, their community is within their site. I've heard people say with Facebook groups that, you know, you never know what could happen with Facebook yeah. or any of those social platforms. So what is your recommendation or thoughts on that as to where to host your membership community? Yeah, my ideal is an on-site forum. So a discussion forum that lives within your website. Not everyone likes that. Not everyone likes forums. I'm old school. I was raised through the earlier days of the internet, through discussion forums. So I'll always have an affinity for them. It comes down to a few things. First of all, what role do you want your community to play? If your community is just somewhere to hang out, if it's almost superfluous to your membership, it's just somewhere for people to connect, to have fun, to hang out, to chat, to ask some questions, but not really for real in-depth discussions. So what's the difference between a conversation or a chat and a discussion? If it's just that surface level, then a Facebook group, a social media group is fine. I still, I, I, there's definite downsides to Facebook because it is Facebook. More and more people are turning away from Facebook now as well, which is a big, big factor. The main thing, the reason I hate Facebook groups for paid memberships, and I say this even though we, we've, we have got a, a social club, Facebook group, which is just for the chit chat stuff in our community. But the main reasons I hate Facebook groups are paid memberships. One, Facebook are starting running ads inside groups. They've been trialing them for ages. They've been rolling them out really slowly. And the day will come when they're available to everyone, which means your competitors could be showing ads for their products inside your Facebook group. Now, first of all, paid ads inside a paid product are tacky as hell. Like if you're paying money, people expect an ad-free experience if they're paying money for an online membership, in, in my view, and certainly the, the views coming out of our communities. So ads are tacky anyway. And then the fact that, yeah, your competitors could be targeting your members inside your group and you won't be able to control it. You won't be able to see it. Yeah, that's just not what I would want for, for a paid asset for my membership. 
There's also maybe worse is Facebook's algorithm. So with ads comes the algorithm because obviously Facebook's whole bait and switch is get everyone to use this one feature and then decimate organic reach. So then they have to use paid ads and they're doing that already in groups. The algorithms are reordering the content that you see according to Facebook, deciding what's more important to be at the top of the newsfeed and the prospect that you could have a new member who might be a little shy. They might not be comfortable in online communities. They may be quite introverted. Maybe they've had a bad experience with online communities in the past. Certain communities can be very toxic, but they're determined to really make a go of your membership and they kind of pluck up the courage and they write and then they rewrite and they, they get anxious about writing this introductory post or this first question and they hit reply and then nobody answers because Facebook decided it wasn't important for you to see that post today. It was more important for you to see something someone posted three days ago. And that new person who's paying you money to be in your community, who needs your help and wants support from their peers, they feel overlooked and ignored. And you don't know anything about it because you're not in control. That to me, and I know it's it's a melodramatic example, but it can happen. It's feasible. And the idea of that happening in a paid community is just a non-starter for me. So that's why I don't like Facebook groups. But if it's the choice between no community at all, or a community that's in a Facebook group, go with the Facebook group because community is really so valuable for memberships. It's the glue that will get people to stick around well beyond the past the point at which they're done with your content. It's that old saying, people come for the content, they stay for the community. And that's true. So if you absolutely do not want to have a discussion forum, because forums are a little more old school, you generally won't get as much activity, but the conversations and discussions you'll get will usually be better quality. And it's easier to organize. It's easier to link to all the posts in a forum than it is in a Facebook group. But if you don't want to do that, if your audience are just aren't interested, and it's a choice between Facebook group or nothing, go with the Facebook group. He yeah. says through gritted teeth. Yeah, I could tell you were like, mm, yeah. you're irritated by the topic. I didn't realize that Facebook was doing ads within groups. Wow. Yeah. I um, mean, you knew it was coming the second that you start seeing this stuff about Mark Zuckerberg, how much he loves Facebook groups and how he, he's... Mem- he's a secret member of loads of groups and this cooking group. So the, their PR department a few years ago started putting out loads of stuff about how groups were like the main favorite bit of Facebook that Mark Zuckerberg just loves. And they're like, okay, this is a preamble to towards trying to encourage everyone to start a group, everyone to join groups, because groups are the last frontier of Facebook advertising space. Facebook are running out of space to show ads. They can't put any more ads into the regular news feeds because there's an ad every three or four posts. They're all they're you're already kind of oversaturating Instagram. Nobody's really using Facebook stories, so that was a bust. Ads in Messenger haven't really lit the world on fire. Groups are the last thing. They're the last the last frontier. So that's probably why they're being a little slower to roll out the ads to groups because they kind of know this is the last, they are the last untouched places on Facebook. And I mean, yeah, Facebook isn't a social network. Facebook's an advertising network. So yeah. Yeah, that's what I've been saying for a while. I'm like, it's it's not really 
a social network anymore. It's more like I even almost go on there now to see ads because they're so targeted and a lot of the ads I'm actually interested in. So it's it's almost like I go there for the ads, not for the social. Yeah, it's like I'm sure I was on a website last week and I saw this thing, but I can't remember the website. I'll go on Facebook and just... (laughs) Just hope that I see that they retarget their ads and, and I'll get hit for something. Yeah, I, I do that. Yeah, and it's like it's so targeted. Like there was one day where I was just thinking in my head. I didn't say it. I didn't search anything. And I was just thinking, man, I'm having some neck and back pain. And an ad within like five minutes shows up saying, are you having neck and back pain? I was like, are they in my brain? <laughs> this is the thing, right? They, they deny it till the cows come home that they're listening to people in conversations and doing stuff like that and then showing ads but they absolutely are like we i've literally i probably the the last person in the world to discover the tv show it's always sunny in philadelphia and so we just start watching it and yesterday callie was was on facebook and she's seeing ads for amazon for life-size cutouts of danny devito right and we haven't discussed danny devito we haven't like she hasn't been on websites as far as i know looking for Danny DeVito <laughs> cutouts. But somewhere in the ether, something has picked up on the fact that we're getting a lot of Danny DeVito in our lives right now because we started watching this show and they've decided that Kali needs a life-size cutout of Danny DeVito. So something dodgy is going on somewhere. Well, hopefully she's not searching for... I, I know. I know. This Kali's telling me, ooh, isn't it strange? But yeah, I haven't checked her search history. She's probably been looking this stuff up. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate your time today. Um, I could keep going, but I know you... Hold on. We're going to end on that. Life-size cutouts. Of- <laughs> oh, we won't in there i I was just gonna ask if there's anything else that you wanted to touch on that we hadn't discussed or maybe i guess how someone could get started with a membership site so i I think again the very first thing is looking at that audience do you have three to five hundred people on your email list if not start focusing on that today people don't focus enough on getting people on the email list you need people on an email list where you can build that relationship and nurture them and build the trust and show them the ways in which you can help them through things like your membership if you start one off. So that's the first thing. If you don't have the audience yet, build that. Outside of that, if you're thinking that maybe you have the right ingredients in place to start a membership, you've got the following, there's a demand for it, you've got an idea for what it might look like, I would say test the waters by doing a paid webinar. It's my favorite way of kind of validating an idea. So think about maybe a a webinar training that you might one day do inside your membership and actually host that, but sell access to it, sell kind of tickets for the same price that you would charge for one month of your membership. So if you're going to charge $50, do this one-off paid webinar, $50 a pop, and The purpose of the webinar, unlike a lot of webinars people do, will not be to sell anything. So there'll be no pitch. It'll be all value. It'll be a masterclass. I prefer to say masterclass than the webinar because webinars got certain connotations in the online space. But it's a paid masterclass, 90 minutes, $49, and try and promote that to your audience and see if they will uh, attend. That will give you a good indicator on whether you're onto something, whether your understanding of the problem solution fit is right, whether your audience are willing to put their money in their pocket and pay you for solutions to their problems. And also the great thing with that is if it goes well, 
then you've got the recording. And so you've got the first piece of content that then goes into your membership when you launch. But I always think it's probably the easiest kind of MVP to test the waters to of selling something at that price point that solves the kind of problems your membership will solve. And if it doesn't go well, it's a one-time thing. You never have to do it again. If it does go well, then it, that's a nice tick in the box that kind of says, okay, there's something here. People need the the kind of solutions, the kind of content that I want to create. And this price point is affordable. And so, you know, you, you've got that little bit of extra validation for moving forward with your membership. Wow, that's a good tip. I think I'm going to do that myself. <laughs> so easy to do. So, so easy to do. But I think the problem is webinars have been so commonly used just as marketing tools. So you do, you know, 60% is is value and then 40% is just straight up sales pitch. Like if you do a 100% value-driven paid webinar, same price point as your membership, then it's it's a real good non-committal way to test the waters. Yeah, and, and just so happens you end up getting paid for content creation uh, in the process. Yeah. And if people also want to learn more, they can join the membershipacademy.com. And then, or for free learning, there's also the membershipguys.com, which is a blog and whatnot, which by the way, that website is one of the best looking websites I've ever seen. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I'm kind of hesitant to update it because obviously I'm a reformed web designer, web developer through the agency. And so anyone who builds and designs websites gets bored of their own website pretty much the second it goes live. So I've been resisting the urge to redesign this one for a few years. I don't think I will, though, because everyone seems to like it. I just want to tinker with it. But no, I I always I actually always recommend people start off with our free content first for the simple fact that if you don't like my voice, if you don't like my style, you're going to hate it in our membership because <laughs> my, myself and Callie are all over that place. But if you go to themembershipguys.com, we've got lots of free articles, downloads, resources. Uh, we've got our two podcasts. And if you then want a lot more from us, you want to work a little closer, you want our courses and supporting the community, then membershipacademy.com is the place to go. And you also have a WordPress theme within the Membership Academy, Membroni. Membroni. Right? Yeah, oh. we kind of try and keep we try and keep it a little hush hush Membroni. Oh. Um, no, no, it's fine. It's not it's, <laughs> it's on our sales page, only available to Academy members. We don't sell it outside of the Academy, mainly because I don't want to run a software company um, again. So making it exclusively available to Academy members kind of keeps it within it, it ensures that the people using it are are good people and it it frees me up to be able to keep doing awesome things with it but yeah it's it's kind of inspired by certain aspects of our own membership like our membership's custom design custom built lots of custom features but we've taken some of the best bits of it and put it into this theme just to enable people to get their memberships looking good and up and running a little quicker yeah i mean if nothing else that's in my opinion, a reason to join. Once I get going and get this, once I know that I'm going to do a membership site, I'm definitely joining and using Memberoni. And then you also have a couple of books as well behind the uh, membership and then Member Machine. Member Machine, that one is, it's essentially a 30-day step-by-step process, basically, divided into day one, day two, day three, day four, for planning, building, and launching a membership. So yeah, that's good for people who are kind of just starting out. Behind the membership features interviews 
with successful membership owners of all shapes and sizes from every kind of industry. And behind the membership book, we released it last year. It's adapted from our podcast of the same name, which is hosted by Callie, the other half of the membership guys. And it's just a goldmine because it's it's about our guests. It's about these other membership owners, what they do and what, what's gone right, what's gone wrong, what they've learned, their biggest takeaways, what they wish they'd done, all that sort of stuff. So it's just a bottomless pit of value and just gold nuggets. I, like we've been doing this for, for years and the majority of the stuff that these guys are talking about, they learn from us, but I still flick through to myself to kind of pick out, oh, actually, I can't remember what, what Deborah said about that. It's It's awesome. Up until July 31st, we've actually got the digital version of Member Machine available to download for free. So we made that available because of what's going on with coronavirus and because more and more people were kind of in that situation where they instantly had to find another way of making money. So until July 31st, I think July 31st, we're going to take it down. If people go to themembershipguys.com slash machine, they can download the PDF version of Member Machine for free. We're not asking for an email address. There's literally nothing. You go there, there's a button, and it'll download straight away. We don't need your opt-in or anything, any nonsense like that. So, yeah, that's that'll be up there for free until July 31st. So if you and, and your audience want to grab it before we put it back on sale for real money, then, yeah, the membershipguys.com slash machine. Oh, that's awesome. That'll be good for my listeners. So I appreciate that. And I'll also have show notes at the com forward slash membership guy. And that'll have all the links to everything we've talked about. Well, I really appreciate your time today. It's been awesome. A lot of good, valuable insight there. Cool. Thank you for and letting me pull out the soapbox for a few <laughs> of those questions. I guess that's a good thing. That's a good sign that it if I'm asking questions that make someone kind of go, oh, you know, maybe that's a good thing. I don't know. <laughs> no, no, it's I, I, I love these questions. I like the opportunity to have a have a little bit of a rant against Facebook groups and add stuff like that. So no, it's been fun. All right. Well, you have a good, I guess, evening because you're in England. So yeah, it is another week down. If you enjoyed and found value from this episode. I'd greatly appreciate it if you rate, review, subscribe, and share at ratethispodcast.com forward slash frugalpreneur. Until next time. Are you a frugalpreneur looking to connect with like-minded individuals? Join our community on Slack. Connect with fellow listeners Share your thoughts on episodes, engage in meaningful discussions, including money-saving tips and entrepreneurial insights, and help shape the future of the Frugalpreneur podcast. Plus, you can submit your questions in written or audio form to be featured on the show. Let's build a supportive space together. Join us now at frugal.show forward slash slack. See you on the inside.